You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can look with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke chapter 18. We're going to get there in a few minutes. Just hold that place. Grab your sermon notes if you'd like to follow along. This morning we're beginning a new series that's going to take us through the month of November. The next four weeks we're going to be talking about this concept, the life that God blesses. The life that God blesses. We're going to be specifically talking about characteristics that we need to be cultivating or growing or developing in our lives if we want to live a blessed life. I'm going to begin this morning by by asking a question that I, I think I know the answer to. Um, But kind of to get us all on the same page this morning, uh, let me ask a question. I want to state it in a couple different ways, but it's the same question. How many of you would say that you want to be blessed in your life? How many of you would say that you want God's goodness to come to your house and hang out there? I think think we're all would say, hey, that's what we want. Because the opposite of that is we would want to be cursed in our lives, and no one wants to be cursed, right? So if God's like handing out blessing, I don't know about you, but I want to be the first in line. I, I enjoy the favor of God. I enjoy the goodness of God. It's, it's what I want not only to mark my life, but I want it to be on that of my home, the home that I am established as the spiritual leader. I want God's favor to rest there. And so we're going to be talking over the next few weeks about how do we position ourselves for that because what I believe is that everyone wants to live the blessed life and also that God desires to bring his blessing for us. I, I, I'm just so confident this morning that our God is good and he wants to bring his goodness to us. God is good and he wants to bring his goodness to us. However, living the blessed life doesn't just like accidentally happen. It requires some specific choices, some specific action on our behalf. In other words, there's some things that we have to do if we want to get to this place of living a blessed life. It's kind of like, I was thinking about this analogy, it's kind of like retirement. I know some of you here this morning are already in the season of retirement. And for the rest of us, we're looking forward to that season. We're not there yet, but we're looking forward to that. But how many of you know that if you're going to live comfortable in retirement, whenever that season comes, you have to plan for that. It doesn't just like naturally happen. What naturally happens is you get older, right? How many of you know you don't have to work at getting older? Like every morning when you get up, you just get one day older. And it's like the, the older I get, the faster it seems to pass. So you don't have to work at getting older. You're going to naturally get there. But if you want to be able to retire and to be comfortable in retirement, meaning that you can take care of the basic needs you have in your life and have a little extra, you got to have a plan. You have to work to come to that place of being ready to retire. This is what I know. You're all going to get older, but the question is, is will you be able to retire? The answer to that is, are you taking action? See, to be able to retire comfortably, what? We need a plan that we're putting into action. To be able to retire comfortably, it's like we have to sacrifice today to prepare for tomorrow, right? Are you with me? It's like if you spend it all today, then when retirement comes, guess what? You're going to be in trouble. Why? Because you spent it all. You didn't have a plan. You didn't, you didn't have an action. So you don't accidentally fall into like good retirement. No, it requires work, plan, action. Listen, it's the same with God's blessing. If you want to live the blessed life, what does it require? It requires some action. 
Now, when we are saved, we're saved by grace and grace alone. In other words, there's nothing that you can do to achieve salvation. Salvation is God's gift to you. It's called, it's called grace. By God's grace, we're saved. So we do not work to gain our salvation. However, if we're going to live in the fullness of salvation, it requires some work. It requires some action on our behalf. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, stay in Luke 18. You don't have to turn to Philippians 2. The verse is on the screen. But listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Dearest friends, you were always so careful to follow my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, you must be even more careful. Notice this next phrase, to put into action. Let's say that together. To put into action God's saving work in your lives, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to do what pleases Him. It's interesting, the New International Version of this verse says that we need to work out our salvation. So we don't work for salvation, but Paul says, hey, you have to work out, you have to put into action that of God's salvation to experience the fullness of the blessing of the salvation that God would want to bring for your life. And then in, in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it's a great verse to commit to memory. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Listen to how the verse reads. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Get a visual of that. The creator of the universe. The God who lacks in no way. The God who has no limits. He's looking throughout the earth. And what's he looking for? He's looking for men and women whose hearts are turned toward him so that he can bring his blessing, so that he can bring his goodness into their lives. So you might think of it like this, what God's on the lookout for men and women whose hearts are turned toward him. So to be a candidate to live a blessed life, we have to make some specific decisions as to how we live our lives. So in this series, this is what we're going to talk about in the next four weeks, beginning today. To, to experience the blessed life, we need to live broken. We need to live surrendered. We need to live holy. And we need to live grateful. We're going to live broken, live surrendered, live holy, and live grateful. See, as we intentionally choose to cultivate these four characteristics that we're going to be talking about in our lives on a daily basis, the end result will be... That we discover God's blessing. I mean, that's the fruit of these four characteristics cultivated into our lives. You know, I've heard people say that we can command God's blessing or we can pray down God's blessing. I even heard, I've even heard individuals to, who would be so arrogant to say we can, as Christians, we can demand God's blessings. And I would disagree with that. I don't think we command God's blessings or demand God's blessings. I think we discover God's blessings when our lives align to his will and his way. In other words, when we find ourselves following after God's way and his will, his word, then what? In that we discover or we have the fruit of his blessing, his favor on our life. And what we must understand is that God's values are, are not the same as man's values. I'm not, they're really different. In real life, 
real freedom, real joy are not found in, in climbing the socioeconomic ladder, but in humbling ourselves, not in being self-sufficient, but in acknowledging our need for God. Hey, to live blessed, we must live broken. Now turn to your neighbor and say, hey, to live blessed, you must live broken. Go ahead and tell them. To live blessed, we must live broken. We, and that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus in on this concept of, of broken. Now, the word broken, the word broken in our English language today is not a positive word. It's not, like, it's not like a happy word. If someone says, hey, I've got a broken arm, how many of you know broken arm's not good? Would you agree with that? Or if someone says, hey, I've got, got an old broken down car. How many of you know broken down car is not good? Well, it leaves me stranded on the side of the road all the time. How many of you know broken down car is not good? Or if someone says, hey, I've got a broken marriage. It's not good. It's heartache. So the word broken in our English language today is, is not a positive word. But when we look to the word broken, what it, what it means in, in, um, in the context of our relationship with God, it's really a positive word. It's not a negative word. It's brokenness that opens our, uh, opens our lives for God's favor and God's blessing. And we see that in, in Matthew chapter 3 as Jesus begins what we have called the Sermon on the Mount. He begins with eight statements that we call the Beatitudes. And the first statement... The first beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Catch what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Or blessed are those who are poor in spirit, because it's there that God brings his kingdom. He brings the fullness of who he is. Where? In the place, in the residence of an individual who is poor in spirit. I love the way the message paraphrase states this verse. This when you're, it says you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God. Isn't that good? With less of you, what, there's, there's more of God. Now when we think of being poor, Jesus says blessed are the poor. So when we think of being poor, how many of you know that's not a desirable position in life? But you agree with that? Like there's probably no one here this morning who just says, hey, I just want to be poor. I mean, none of us would want that. Yet Jesus would say, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's interesting. You know, the New Testament originally was written in the Greek, in the Greek language. And in the Greek language, there's two words. There's two Greek words for the word poor. And Jesus could have chosen either one of the words. The, the first word that he didn't use means to scrimp and to scrap and to barely get, brought, get by. You ever known anyone like that, man? They're just scrimping and scrapping, and it's like they, they, they're, they're always just trying to get enough. That's one of the words. The second word that Jesus did use, blessed are the poor in spirit, is actually a word that means beggar. Blessed are those who realize that they can't make it on their own without someone coming to help them. Basically, that's what Jesus is saying. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the beggars, those who recognize that they're spiritually destitute and spiritually bankrupt without Him. So as we look to the word brokenness, it's used in a lot of different ways today. But as we look to the Bible, brokenness refers to this, the stripping of self-reliance. It's living one's life completely dependent upon God. It's the daily choice of moving from self-reliance to God-reliance. It's living your life. Being poor in spirit is this. It's living your life desperate for God. 
realizing that in and of yourself, you can't solve your own problem. In and of yourself, you're in trouble. In Arkansas, I used to say it like this. In and of yourself, you're up the creek without a paddle. Well, you can't save yourself. You can't fix your own problem. To be poor in spirit is, is just, it, it's the stripping of our self-will and the surrendering of our lives to God's will. Rather than saying, I'm going to go my own way, it's choosing to go God's way. That's the concept of, of brokenness. You know, a great example, kind of a visual of, of, of what it means to be broken. You know, oftentimes we, we'll say of, of a horse, the horse has been broken. Now, when we say the horse has been broken, how many of you know that doesn't mean we broke its leg? Right? When, when we say the horse has been broken, it's like... Like a stallion, a wild stallion was captured and through a process of, of training, now the horse has been broken, meaning that it's submitted to the will of its owner. Rather than going its own way, now the horse follows the direction of its master. And we would say what? That horse has been broken. What its will has been surrendered to the will of the master. And that's the whole concept of what it means to, to, live, to live our lives broken. We have a great illustration of this in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus is telling a story. It's a parable that Jesus tells. And there's, there's two men in this story. One is self-reliant, self-righteous, arrogant. And the other, the other man is broken. The other man realizes his great need of God. I want you to listen as I read from Matthew, excuse me, Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Now, now Jesus is—he's hanging out now with the church folk, the church folk of the day. These are the This is the religious group. Obviously, they're not like us, right? A whole different time, right? And obviously, they had challenges that we don't have. Um, oh, just kidding. So Jesus told this story. Listen as I read. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Notice the Pharisee, the religious guy. The Pharisee stood up. And prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. In other words, look at all that I've done. I've checked off all of my religious to-do lists. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God... Have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you that that this man, rather than the other, went home justified. This man, being the tax collector, was the one who, who God accepted. It was the tax collector because of his brokenness that God brought his blessedness to him. As you reflect on this story... That Jesus told of the two men. As you think of your own life, would you say 
that you're more like the Pharisee who God did not receive his prayer? Or would you say you're, you're more like the tax collector, the one who was justified? Most of the time in your day-to-day life, are you more like the Pharisee or, or more like the tax collector? See, within this parable, both men were involved in, in spiritual activity, but one man's prayer was acceptable to God, and the, other's man, the other man's prayer like didn't make it past the roof. What was the difference? It was this. It was not the outward appearance, but it was the condition of their heart. See, brokenness is not about outward appearance. Brokenness is about a condition of our heart as to how we process life. And brokenness is not about an event. Listen, if, if, I, if I can only convince you to, to come to a place of brokenness today only for this day, then I've failed miserably in my communication this morning. And brokenness is not about an event. Brokenness is about how we process life. It is a lifestyle that we embrace, that we're living our lives submitted to the will of the Father, that we're stripping ourselves of this self-righteous, self-reliance, understanding our great need of God. As we look to the story, what we discover about these two men is that the Pharisee compared himself to others while the tax collector saw his own crisis. See, the Pharisee was, was deceived to believe that he had like some elevated position. And he was greater than all of these other despicable people. How many of you know, if you look long enough, you can, find, you can always find someone who's a little worse than you? Right? And maybe sitting beside you right now. <laughs> if you look long, you can always find some. If you're comparing yourself to others, but can I tell you the standard is not others, the standard's God. Compare yourself to God. See how you weigh out. And the Pharisee was comparing himself to others. But while the tax collector recognized that he was a wretch sinner, and without God's mercy, there was no hope. The Pharisee was self-confident and blind to his great need, while the tax collector acknowledged his need and relied on God. The Pharisee approached God with, with this arrogancy and pride, saying, look at, all of I, look, at, look at all of that I've done. Matter of fact, the Scripture actually says he was praying to himself. How arrogant. Well, the tax collector understood. He had this awareness of his need of God. And, his, and he came in this, this humble, this humble, had this humbled approach to God. Simply stated, I, I think the Pharisee approached God with self-confidence. The tax collector approached God in a state of brokenness. As a result of the response of the two men... Notice this, it was the Pharisee that missed God's blessing, while the tax collector experienced God's blessing. Now, 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace, He gives favor, He brings His blessing to the humble, to the broken, to those who are contrite, Contrite means broke, to be broken in our through those who are contrite at heart. So I ask you again this morning, as you evaluate your own life, don't think about your neighbor right now, as you evaluate your own life, knowing that God looks right to your heart. 
You may be able to fool, fool others, folks, but hear me. Hear me this morning. You cannot fool God. So again, evaluating your own life this morning, would you say you're more like the Pharisee who is praying about himself, arrogant and proud? Or would you say that you're, you're more like the tax collector most of the time, realizing your great need of God, coming broken before God? If you want to enjoy... The blessing and favor of God, I'm convinced that brokenness has to be a part of that. As we live our lives broken, what do we discover? We discover God's blessing. There's a pathway. There's a pathway to living blessed. And on that pathway, there's the necessity of brokenness in our lives. So if brokenness brings us to blessedness, how do we get there? Or how can we grow in that? Or how can we cultivate that? Because again, it requires action on our part. It requires more than just a prayer. God, help me with this. I think we should pray about it. But more than that, how can we come to a place of greater brokenness in our lives? Let me leave you with just a couple points of application. A pathway to brokenness. I, I think first, first is we need to get a fresh vision of God. A fresh vision. Can I, can I tell you one of the problems in the church today? even Grace Covenant Church, is we have we have this distorted view of who God is. I hear people say this, and I, I don't mean this condemning at all, but I hear people say, well, he's the man upstairs. Or God's my buddy. And I, I believe he I believe man, we're a friend of God. I do believe that. But because we have a distorted view of God and we don't rightly understand who He is, we wrongly respond to Him. And when you get a fresh vision of God, when you get a fresh understanding of who God is, and you truly see God as He is, wow, you're going to have a better understanding of who you are. And you're going to have a better understanding of, of the depravity of your humanity, the frailty of your humanity. You're going to have a better understanding of your great need of God in your life. But to, to get a fresh vision of who God is and His holiness and His, and His supremeness and His might. You know, throughout the Bible, there's several illustrations of this, but throughout the Bible, as men and women began to understand God as to who He truly is, as they had this glimpse or this vision or this revelation, every time we find that in Scripture, the result is greater brokenness. Let me give you this one illustration. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah has this, um, this revelation of God. It's like he has this vision. And all of a sudden, he comes to understand the magnitude and the greatness of God's holiness. Now, let me read just a couple verses for you from, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died... This is Isaiah speaking. I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphs, each of them with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. L- listen to Isaiah's response to this fresh vision of God. Verse 5, Isaiah cried out, Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And when Isaiah got this, this fresh vision of who God is, and His holiness, and His might, and His power, and His supremeness, he came to even realize even more so who he was, and he cried out, Whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. In other words, God, without your mercy, I'm in trouble. Without your rescue, God, there's no hope. As we're, as we're on this pathway to greater brokenness, first we need a, a fresh vision of who God is. So I encourage you to dig into God's Word and begin to study out, God, who are you? And as your understanding of the greatness of God, the magnitude of God grows, man, it's going to bring you to a greater awareness, more than you've ever known before, of your great need of God. That place of brokenness. Hey, here's a second step in the pathway to brokenness is this. Daily acknowledge your spiritual need of God. Daily acknowledge your spiritual need. Rather than living your life self-dependent, choose to live God-dependent. Listen, whether you've been saved a day or 10 years or 50 years, I can tell you something about your life. It's true of my own. I deal with this in my own life. Is I'm still struggling with issues of my humanity. And within that, I can... There's something about us that, that leans toward being self-dependent. God, I can do it on my own. Matter of fact, we see this today. If you want to do some interesting reading, do some reading on um, on uh, a humanistic uh, or humanism, the, the philosophy of humanism. Man, it's growing rampant in our culture today. And this is just a quick summary, but basically the, the, the philosophy of humanism is this, is that we can do it on our own all by ourselves, God. We really don't need you. I mean, it's so prevalent in our culture today. Taught in our schools, taught in colleges, where our college students are being condemned for the very faith that they profess. Who are you to believe in God? Laughed at. I mean, it's this humanistic philosophy that's growing in our culture today that says we don't need God. And it's the opposite of broken. How arrogant, how arrogant of us, the created, to say to the Creator, we don't need you. Yet that's what's happening today in our community, in our culture, and it's even coming into the church. So how do we how do we go down this pathway of brokenness? I think that we need to daily acknowledge our spiritual need of God. You know, it was the Apostle Paul. Think about this. The Apostle Paul who wrote like half of the New Testament. This is what he said in assessment of his own life. In Romans 7, 24, Paul said, O wretch man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? O wretch man. This is Paul. He goes on to answer his own question. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, Jesus, you're the solution to my spiritual crisis. But I think a great way to begin every day is to declare your need of God, is to declare your need for God in that day. Just to begin your day by saying, God, my talent's not enough. My experience is not enough. My my knowledge is not enough. My strength's not enough for the challenges of this day. God, I need you. I need your grace and your mercy. I need your help in this day. What is that? It's an awareness 
of the frailty of our humanity and its awareness of our great need of God. It takes us down a pathway of brokenness. I'm submitting myself to God's will and God's way. Here's the third step. The pathway to brokenness. Consistently confront self-promotion and self-reliance. Again, this is, this is a challenge with us within our humanity. It sneaks up. It shows up. We want to promote ourselves. We want to rely on ourselves. We listen, we don't want to be like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who was praying to himself. He thought he was like a good religious guy. Strutting a bit before God, if you will. God, look all that I've done for you. I fast twice a week. I'm doing my tithe. I wrote out my tithe check just this morning. Doing all of these religious things. God, look how, look how good I am. Self-promotion, self-reliance. Listen, when you see it in your life, confront it. Confront it. Call it what it is. Call it ugly because that's what it is. Call it arrogant because that's what it is. Call it pride because that's what it is. Again, 1 Peter 5, 5, friends, don't never forget this. 1 Peter 5, 5 says God opposes the proud. In other words, he's standing against the proud, but he gives grace, he gives favor, he gives blessing to the humble. So when you see this self-promotion or self-reliance, when you see it in your life, confront it and repent. And then two days later, when it happens again, when it shows up, and it will, because you're still with you, right? You know, my problem is I can't get rid of me. Everywhere I go, there I am. If I could get rid of me, I'd be okay. That's the challenge. Listen, it's the same challenge you have. We're living in our humanity. When it shows up, man, confront it and repent. Even, even do this. Listen, John 16 says one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to convict. I would encourage you to pray a pretty bold prayer. And the prayer being this, Holy Spirit, convict me. Holy Spirit, wreck me. Holy Spirit, capture my attention when I'm promoting myself or relying on myself. Bring it to the surface. Let me see it for what it is so I can confront it and repent. And listen, every time you do that, what are you doing? You're taking another step down the pathway to brokenness. We're going to confront we're going to confront self-promotion and self-reliance. For you, for you see in the kingdom of God, the way up is down and the way to blessedness is, is through brokenness. The way to enjoy God's favor is to live our lives desperate for God. I want to leave you with one last verse of scripture. You can jot this down if you're taking notes and check it out later. Isaiah 57 verse 15. This is God speaking. Isaiah 57, 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. According to this passage of scripture, God has two addresses. Two addresses. The first doesn't surprise us at all because we would... Just think, well, God's eternal. He's living in eternity, a place that's high and holy and lofty. But the scripture also says that God has a second address. This is astounding to me. He has a second address, and it's this. It says he dwells with those who are lowly and contrite. Or he he comes and he camps out with those who are broken. Isn't that amazing? 
So God's in the heavenlies, but He's also where? Scripture says He's with those who are broken in their lives. You want God's goodness to come and hang out where you're at? What's He attracted to? Listen, God's attracted to brokenness. He's drawn to brokenness. Not arrogancy. Not pride. But to those who are living their lives desperate for Him. Not relying on self. But the self-will being stripped and surrender to that of His will in our lives. The way to blessedness, my friends, is through brokenness. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank You this morning for the truth of Your Word. God, for how Your Word convicts, how Your Word reveals, God, the ugly stuff in our lives. God, I thank You that that You have brought truth and Lord, it's truth that, Lord, as, it's, as it kind of shines into our lives, it helps us see areas that, wow, we need to address, we need to confront, that we need to repent of. So we're just grateful for that. And Lord, we're grateful as well that, Lord, according to your word, you're looking throughout the earth. The eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth to strengthen those, to bless those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God, I thank you that you want to bring your blessing to our house. That not only do you dwell in the high and lofty eternal place that we call heaven, But you also have an address being of that you dwell with those who are broken and contrite in spirit. Wow. 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 For that we're grateful. For that we're grateful. With every head bowed and eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you're like me. You just say, wow, I, I need to. I need to travel down the pathway to brokenness. I have a tendency to rely on myself. I have a tendency to, to kind of launch out on my own. And, and today I, I, I would just admit, Holy Spirit, I need help growing in brokenness. And I'm willing to make those choices. Listen, this is not just something we pray about. We should pray about it. But beyond prayer, we got to take action. But how many of you would say, Holy Spirit, I, I want you to help me walk out my life in a broken posture before, before God? If that's you, would you just raise your hand really quick? Lord, I pray for my friends in the balcony on the main floor, those who are watching online. God, who would just say, that's me. I, I want to walk down that pathway of brokenness. So Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would convict. When we have that tendency of moving to self-reliance, we have that tendency to move to self-promotion or, or arrogancy to think that we can make it on our own. When we have a tendency to pat ourselves on the back a little bit about how, how good we are. Holy Spirit, would you just convict us of that? We, we invite that this morning. We need help. That's what I know, God. We need help. So, Holy Spirit, we invite your conviction. Help us, our day by day, to live our lives broken before you.
He said, again, but according to your word, you dwell with, you, you hang out with those who live their lives broken. So, Lord, we want to be those folks. The Holy Spirit, again, we just invite your work in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.